Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Real Hawk Talk, this is Brian Demhauser, and uh, we've got a bit of the Hawk Blogger crew tonight. Um, our, uh, our eternal optimist, Evan, is spreading his Seahawks uh, good cheer uh, in another continent today, so um, we'll, we'll miss him tonight and, and his uh, food takes and, and sunny disposition, um, but we're... Always happy to have um, Nathan Ernst uh, joining us. How you doing, Nathan? Good. How about yourself? Doing well, dude. Down here in a San Francisco hotel room with like super harsh lighting, so um, I'm sure I look even better than normal. You look wonderful. Don't worry about it. Okay, thank you. I mean, I don't have the smoke that you guys have to deal with. Uh, right we now. don't have that as much anymore. So. Oh, really? It's it's improved. It's a lot better today. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting home tomorrow for a lot of reasons, and, and one of them would be, it would be better, certainly, if it wasn't smoky. Um, and then uh, Jeff Simmons, uh, just in time. Good to see you, dude. I'm all right. I had some uh, computer issues, and now I'm all settled. Okay. Well, that's still to be determined. You were a little, you were a little uh, glitchy right there. We'll see how this <laughs> plays out. Yeah? Uh, still? No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, so, guys... A lot to talk about tonight. Um, Jeff, I don't know if you had a chance to, to come up with your topic list, but um, I'll give you a little bit of a head start to think through that in that first thing we have to talk about is John Ryan. Um, uh, Nathan always demands that we start every Real Hawk talk by talking about punters, and in this case, it, it makes good sense. So um, I'd love to go around table on your favorite John Ryan memory, and uh, you know, let's start there. Can we just like skip to our second favorite? Because if we don't all have the same favorite, I'm gonna I'm gonna be concerned. Okay. All right. That's fair. So so why don't yeah why don't you name uh, name both, assuming that you have the same favorite? But yeah, that's a that's a good point. So the obvious right answer for favorite is the touchdown in the NFC Championship game against uh, Green Bay. Uh, it was amazing. It kicked off the comeback. It Gave us that wonderful picture of him looking terrified while he shot-putted the ball <laughs> over to Gary Gilliam. And then he turned around and did the discount double-check to Aaron Rodgers. It was uh, – I, I don't – there are few people who have ever lived who have had a higher a, – a, a better moment than, than John Ryan had then. Um, 
My second favorite moment is I feel bad on this one a little bit because I think he got hurt, if I remember right. Um, but when he took off and ran, and John Ryan for a punter, pretty athletic. Uh, but he took off and ran in the was it the Cardinals game or what game was it where he took off and ran and he bobbled the ball uh and then got killed on a hit. Um him bobbling that ball mid-run was kind of amazing. I think everything else is punts, and punts are boring, so those have to be the top two. Jeff, how about you? You got anything different than that? Uh, unfortunately, some of my favorite John Ryan memories are plays that didn't work out so well. There was one in that Vikings playoff game in the cold where John Ryan, I think it was a fake or it was a dropped hold. where He ended up running up the middle and getting his face knocked in, bleeding everywhere. And then there was a play in uh, this game a couple years ago where it was that Thursday night game where they first debuted those terrible green jerseys. And Ryan, I think, went for like a 33-yard run and then got completely clobbered. And I think the sidelines of both teams were going crazy. <laughs> it was just, yeah, well, Nathan says great. Like, Ryan is not your typical punter. He's kind of athletic. For me, he was a Canadian. For, and I always had John Ryan came from the CFL, a league that I'm embarrassed to be in my country. But, yeah, just everything about John Ryan was different. He was probably one of the more popular punters in any franchise in the last decade. Yeah, do you guys uh, – Do you guys? Um, my recollection, and I, we were actually – I was talking to – I was trying to get him on the show, and it just didn't work out. But um, uh, do you guys recall him being as fit when like and, and as like puffed up uh like as a uh, as buff as he he ended up being when he started i thought he was like kind of average joe looking guy and then he got to be pretty athletic like and and muscular yeah it, it might have happened i um, a friend of mine knew dwayne casey really well and dwayne casey was the toronto coach where i live yeah and Casey was Ryan's next-door neighbor in Seattle. Casey lives there in the offseason. For a while, Casey was pretty worried about John's drinking habits. <laughs> not a bad way, not a bad, like a dangerous way. Just he liked to have fun. He wasn't, didn't look like an athlete. But I think as the years went on, he probably – you can see he was a speedy guy. Like he was athletic. So maybe yeah, the the word was that he was a running back in in Canada. Like uh, he actually had experience running the ball, and my my recollection is that he actually was not in particularly great shape when when he came. He was more like punter dad bod kind of thing, and then yeah, uh, started to get kind of like ripped. But it's funny. I have to my my favorite memories besides the ones you guys mentioned. I mean, definitely him running and losing the ball. I don't think I've ever seen someone lose a ball that way. Um, like there was no reason for it to happen. I, I like turned to my son at that point. And we were laughing. I mean, I felt so bad because he got destroyed. But like his face—I mean, his facial expressions on almost all of these things are like <laughs> remarkable. And one of them that we didn't talk about is in a Bears game uh, a few years ago, where there he punted the ball. And there, this was not a fake. You know, he punted the ball, and I think Devin Hester was returning it. And Ryan was going down to try to make a tackle and just got blindsided. And that there's a, <laughs> just a crazy still image of him basically 
looking like at such a curved angle, like a body should not look like. And uh, his face just with his lips in like different hemispheres. It was pretty bad. But, you know, I think there's something about John Ryan that made him really appealing for a lot of fans. He's kind of like, and this is going to date me, but like he's kind of like the Winona Ryder, you know, of the Seahawks and that like people think that he's achieved, like they could do what he does. He's like, he's achievable. He's like attainable in some way. And so they relate to him on a, on a personal level. He's still a professional athlete. Like he was still an amazing athlete that did amazing things that, you know, none of us would, would realistically be able to do. And, and, uh, if we'd had him on the show, I definitely would have wanted to ask him a little bit about Ninja Warrior and, uh, I was disappointed for his show. <laughs> that was the other uh, highlight slash low light. Did you guys actually see him on that? Uh, his attempt there? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> do you know the first? Do you know Ninja Warrior at all? And like the, the first, first one is you have to like jump between the different things. You just kind of like skip almost across, right? Right. It looks like anybody could do it, right? Yeah. He fell in <laughs> at that point. So uh, you know that was not his best athletic showing, but anyway. Um. Yeah. What do you? What uh, other thoughts on the the John Ryan stuff, Jeff? Other things you want to talk about there? Um. Yeah. I just want to like. I guess thank him, pay respect to him. John was such a likable guy. You don't you don't see like veteran guys like Bobby Wagner or Russell Wilson talk about a punter very often. It seemed like everyone had a pretty good respect for John. And it's it's pretty cool. He's back with Hauschka. It seemed like those guys were pretty close. That is cool. And I don't know. I remember when Hauschka ended up leaving in Francie. John had a pretty good tweet about holding his balls again. It was going to sad he can't hold his balls anymore. So now he's back. He gets to hold his balls again. And that's, that's, that was like a pretty cool thing for that they're back together. I respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> that was his um, tweet. I'm not saying that weird. Um, oh, man. There, there was something I was. Oh. You know, I, I think one of the things that's really stood out for me is how often do you see the franchise quarterback, the franchise, like, almost defensive player of the year, yeah. tweet out about the punter moving on? Like, I thought that was pretty cool um, that both of them talked about, you know, took the time to, to send him off. Um, so, you know, huge, huge impact on the, the team, the community. I know I've been actively looking for you know new fresh legs and i'm excited about what michael dixon is going to do there but um john ryan's been a great seahawk so it's it's uh, i'm glad that he landed on his feet in buffalo um so we are the day before the next game um and there's a ton of storylines all sorts of things broke um one of the things that's like top of mind for me and i'm curious I've I've been super busy and haven't been able to stay with all the press conferences and all that kind of stuff. But is Dion Jordan really have a chance to come back for the season opener? And like the the news was that Pete said that there is a chance he'll be back for the opener, and that Jordan is pushing to come back earlier than that. I mean, that's a pretty significant impact if that's true on what they're going to do with the roster. Like someone's going to get left off that I think all of us had, you know. Deion Jordan going on the PUP list. Um, so uh, any thoughts on that? Anything that you guys have read or, or what you think the implications there are? I'm always going to bet against Deion Jordan's health, not in like 
a mean way or anything, but in a I don't like losing money kind of way. Um, <laughs> so it'd be cool if he's back. Uh, but that seems like like uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, Pete tends to be overly optimistic with injury timelines. I think it's a known thing around the fantasy football community and a known thing around the league. So sometimes when Pete says something, you might need to add like a couple weeks to his timeline. Maybe the most optimistic person. And when you combine that, as Nathan's saying, it seems like a long shot. But the fact that he's progressing, that's that's good news. But I don't, I think it'd be a pretty surprising turn of events if he's back to the opener. Well, so that that is that I think that's all right. That's all makes sense. But what about does it change your opinion of the potential that they will not put him on PUP? Like maybe he's back by week two or week three instead of by week six or seven. Um, you know, do you think, let me put it this way. Nathan, do you think that Deion Jordan is important enough to the Seahawks that if he could be back by week three, that you carry him um, on the roster and cut somebody to, to make space for him? Uh, I haven't... I haven't thought about who that cut would be, but yeah, I think if there's any chance that you can get, even if you you think you can be back by week four or something like that, like, yeah, I think you, this team doesn't have a huge margin. Um, And so every game matters and, you know, cutting a guy who is more likely than not to be inactive a lot of these games, if it means you can get, um, Deion Jordan back a few weeks early, then I think you do it. I mean, you still have to be conscious of, you know, not rushing him back and all that, um, especially with the kind of injury history that he's had. But I, I don't think this is a team that can, I mean, again, one or, it depends on who the cut is, but I, I think this is a team, if they want to seriously try to compete and like that's an outside possibility still, then I think you, you take that risk and you you roster him right out of camp if, if there's any indication that he'll be back. Well, let's make it real. I mean, would you cut, <clears throat> would you cut um, Puna Ford um, for Deion Jordan? No, I'd cut Brandon Jackson for him. Brandon Jackson. Eric Walden, you-, you can cut. Because Marcus Smith is gone now. That, that's a but you, you need <laughs> – I don't know that you can cut Eric Walden, though, can you? Like, I know he's brand new to the scene, but with the the whole Marcus Smith thing. Yeah. I guess you're hoping they can get by for a couple games until Jordan plays. But, yeah, I don't know. Even you, even if Jordan is healthy for, like, week one, like, they, they got to keep Eric Walden, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, you, maybe they decide that Walden's washed and they keep – they they got to keep another pass pass rusher though, right? That's the question. I mean, you got Quentin Jefferson, you've got uh, Rasheem Green, you've got Frank Clark, so you've got a three man rotation at the end, and you do have uh, now Jackson and Walden, and then you've also got Jacob Martin and Mingo so, and Mingo. Mingo's That's true. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I mean, I I, I would, I, I think I would cut if, if i have real confidence that jordan's going to come back and um <laughs> contribute right like then to me it's a pretty easy decision like there's no one else there's not a lot of guys i would keep on the roster over him if you're gonna have to cut like a quentin jefferson um that starts to get 
that's where to me it starts to get uncomfortable. Um, you know, I don't think I'd cut. I don't even know if I'd cut a Jacob Martin if that's somewhere that they'd have to do um, to make room for him. But yeah, I mean, a lot of this could kind of if Puna really plays well the rest of the preseason, I'd almost be okay with cutting uh, Steven. He's been okay, but he's just kind of a, a big body defensive tackle and they've got Reed and they've got Puna and they've got, you know, Naz and Quentin Jefferson who are more of a three tech, but can are, are fairly stout. So I don't know that you really need another just big body there. So, but that that's more dependent on, Puna, but that's a lot more stomach. Like that's a lot. It seems a lot more uh, palatable than losing a young guy like Ford. And I think that's what makes this upcoming preseason game so interesting because I think you want to see if Rasheem Green can play against maybe the the starters on a team like Minnesota, who people consider a Super Bowl contender. And if you can start the year maybe with Rasheem Green, Rasheem's been dominating backups, but you, I think we all want to see how he does against. The, the starting quality players because there's such a gap league wide from the line. If you don't have to rush Jordan back because Green can play, that that really does help. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good news. Um, um, you know, but as you guys have said, Pete's Pete's tough to to read on that. He has said he thought Doug Baldwin would be back for for Week One, and it's looking like. Seems like that's the case. That's going to happen, maybe. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's been a number of these things, that, like uh, Ed Dixon. Uh, I don't know, like the guy's never played with the team, and he's maybe your starting tight end on week one. I don't know how that would look like either. Like, there's a lot of these guys that are kind of hanging on the edge. Okay, so let, let's shift the conversation a little bit. Last week, we were supposed to do a show earlier in the week, but things just didn't work out, so we didn't get a chance to break down too much of the Chargers game. So the biggest takeaway that most people, at least on Twitter, and Evan's not here to talk about it, but I would have liked to hear his response, but it was hard not to watch that game and notice Jermaine Effetti in a, in a tough way. And Jermaine had a, some early good flashes against Melvin Ingram, but had some like eye-opening bad plays. And just the end of the second quarter where they were trying to put together a two-minute drive and they kept having to dump the ball off, I think Afedi got beat on like four or five straight play. It was, it was hard to watch. So the big news coming out of Seahawks camp this week, I think we got to talk about this, is George Fant switching positions. We've heard mixed things about how P wanted him on the left side to keep it easy. He's coming off a serious ACL injury from last year. He's a very raw player, and he just learned left tackle going into last year, and now he's got a new – now he's got to switch sides because – Jamarco Jones, who was probably their best candidate to maybe compete with Fant, I mean, to compete with Afedi, is probably out for a little, quite a while. So, yeah, Fant to right tackle. Let's start with that. Nathan, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I love it. Uh, it there's, there, I don't think there's any real downside. Like, uh, getting him competing on both sides of the line, um, that's, that's something that they've wanted from their guys a lot. And, uh, they need the competition over there. Afedi just has not shown the consistency in his performance and the consistency in his, you know, discipline when it comes to penalties and stuff. It, it's, it's a, it's we're beating an old horse with a, or a, a dead horse with Afedi, right? Um, so getting, 
it's hard to think that Fetty is part of their their best five. Um, and it's good that we're going to get a chance to see, you know, whether he is or not and, and have that competition. So uh, I, I, no complaints. We'll see what happens, but I, I think it's, it's just, it's all good stuff. Did you guys see uh, Cliff Averill's comments about a Fetty? Um, I think they showed up in the paper that his impression was that he felt like he was entitled to that role or that things were going to be given to him. Um, it was pretty damning. I mean, Cliff Averill's a very positive guy, says nice things. I don't know if some of that has to do with the fact that Fetty got in fights with a lot of the defensive line and they just don't like him as a person, or if that's an accurate read that, that Averill, like there are some questions and I've heard rumblings in that locker room that one of the things that really broke down um, in the last few years. And part of the reason there's been such a huge coaching shift is there wasn't really a feeling that players were being held accountable at the same, like all at the same level. And that, um, you know, a guy like a Fetty has not had to really earn that spot. Um, He's just been given a starting role, and I do believe in the, the competition philosophy in that regard that that if you want to really bring out the best of a player, you have to have some threat that there's someone else pushing them. If, if they're just able if, – if you're depending on them pushing themselves and continuing to set the bar higher, I think it's less likely that that's going to happen. So um, I think an interesting subplot here is a Fetty and Fant from when I've – seen them and talked to them they are like they're best buddies i think they might be roommates they like spend all their time together so that's an interesting part of this that's i'm always fascinated by and surprised at how mature <laughs> these players end up being when their livelihoods are at stake in terms of really supporting each other and and not um you know uh, not really trying to sabotage um you know one of their their uh their their teammates Okay, here's a question for you, Brian. Week one, who do you want to be the starting right tackle? Um, I would love it to be George Fant. I mean, I, I really would. I think one of the things that, that I was tweeting about earlier this week was pro football focus, and yes, their grades are good or bad. or what, People take it for what, they, for what it's worth. But Fetty was, you know, he is one of the, again, most poorly graded right tackles in the whole league. I don't think anyone's arguing with that, um, other than maybe the Seahawks and Afedi. Um, but Fant, Fant's graded higher overall, but he is, I think, the second to last when it came to run blocking grade. Um, he had a meaningfully higher, like double, uh, Afedi's pass blocking grade. And that kind of matches my eye from a pass blocking grade. He's definitely a better pass blocker than Afedi. But if he's really atrocious at run blocking you know i definitely would take that in general i think that that's the right trade-off to make for a lot of reasons but i want to make sure (laughs) i don't want a guy that's the second worst at either quite honestly i'd like somebody who's just a better right tackle but if you had to pick if i had to pick i'd pick fan and i'd pick yeah i'd pick a guy that was a worse that was a more inferior run blocker because there's a lot less damage that can be caused by mistakes in, in that situation. Is anyone think, interested in seeing Ethan Posick get a, a run here? Like, I have not been impressed with him at left guard. Um, 
I don't know. Like I haven't been impressed with Odiambo either, and you know, Luker um, and uh, Suzy aren't healthy. But like, it there's other options to move around here, right? Yeah, that's that's the big question right now because they keep talking about cohesion and having the same five guys the whole camp, and the Tom Cable thing was like moving guys around every two three days, and that drove like all the O line purists crazy. But if you got to get your best five on the field, yeah, maybe you do start looking at guys around. And one of the stories of the week that also jumped off our eye, and some people have had different views of this, was J.R. Sweezy has been practicing at left guard. And Pete revealed today that he's coming back from a high ankle sprain. I don't know if that was out there before this week. And he mentioned pretty clearly that he's competing with a Fetty. I mean, with Posick. And yeah, some people, Posick's pass blocking has been a lot better than his run blocking, which the core strength is going to be a problem for him. He's just, even though he's put on the weight, that's just not something you can just pick up and get. Although he is bigger and he does seem to be better at pass pro, but my initial read, and I might be wrong based on what Pete said, was I thought because of how bad Reese Odiambo looked and how bad Michael Roos looked. Is it Michael DeJordan? Michael Roos is the old tackle in Tennessee. Yeah. My guess was they just needed a left guard, but the fact that he singled out Posick, maybe that, maybe he is under pressure. I don't think there's any doubt that he's under pressure, and and I think it's primarily about getting the best, you know, the best five out there. And I think I think there's a decent chance that Sweezy is a better guard than Ethan Posick is. There's a question for me about Posick's a second year player. Are you you know, is he improved? Is he on is his trajectory, you know, is he developing? And are you gonna stunt him and at what cost? Are you, are, you know, is, is Sweezy a long term solution? So I have some of those questions. But then to to Nathan's question before, uh, I saw Postick at right tackle last year in training camp. And from a pa- again, from a pass blocking perspective, he is better than a Fetty at right tackle. I saw him going against people like Cliff Averill and and Michael Bennett and like in one one v ones, and there's a was a clear difference between him and someone like a Fetty. I don't think he's as good of a pass blocker as George Fant is. Not that Fant is like <laughs> going to set the world on fire, but uh, I, I have a hard time seeing Posick beating out a Fetty. Um, I think the more interesting question starts to become like. If Fant really is coming on and is gonna, it looks like he's gonna win that spot. Do they think? Do they put a Fetty at you know some of these guard situations to to push there? Not right away. I don't think there's enough time for all that to happen. But could a Fetty end up being a, a left guard? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of curious uh, how that would play out. Yeah, and the the one thing you did notice when how how bad some of their backup offensive line has looked. Because when Roos had to come in for Fluker last week when he hurt his finger, that right side completely fell apart pretty quickly. And so they're they're searching for depth options. They're pretty thin right now with Jamarco Jones hurt. So they really – I think whoever wins the right tackle battle, I would have Will Disley lined up right beside them, and I'm not letting any of them in a one-on-one situation until they can prove it. Because week one, you got Vaughn Miller lines up against the right tackle. That's his position. And you saw what Melvin Ingram did to him. Vaughn Miller is the next level up. So if it's a if it's a Fetty or Fant or Posick, you need a lot of help there. 
So let me ask you guys, do you, do you feel like we have a better chance, an appreciably better chance to beat the Broncos week one in Denver with George Fant at right tackle than we do with Jermaine Fetty? Yeah. You do? Yeah. I mean, the difficult thing that you just threw out there was interesting. He, he'll be able to help either one on a pass play um, if they want to do that with them. Um, I think it's fair to wonder how much value you get out of keeping a blocker in as opposed to letting them get out in a route and giving your quarterback another option. But um, where I think Disley can swing things is if, if Fant is not a very good run blocker, I think Disley can help there and make up for that. Um, whereas Fant as a, as a pass blocker can do some stuff on his own. Maybe he can't handle Von Val- Miller on his own. Not a lot of guys can, but um, maybe he can let you um, let that tight end get out uh, into a route, whereas with Fetty, you're going to be more hamstrung and you're going to have to keep this lean or whatever. So uh, you went out and got a blocking tight end, put him to use. You don't need to have, you know, uh, a, a really good run blocking tackle. I mean, running um, isn't that important. And if you have someone that can be there next to him and help him with the run blocking and Fant can hold his own in the pass blocking, I think that's a, a much better combination um, going into week one or any week for that matter. So it's, it just seems none of us will think Jermaine Fetty should be starting week one. I think that's not unreasonable. Well, you know what's frustrating is uh, he hasn't been good. So we have a lot of track record to say he's not good. And he has he shown any improvement? Is there anything that anyone sees from him in the preseason where it's like, oh, well, he's better here? I would. So let me, I will say that, yes, not in ways that I think people are going to really – no, it's not going to change anyone's mind, but I have seen an improvement in terms of the penalty situation. We'll see in our regular season game. Um, I know that in the scrimmage, Pete you know, called him out, but he hasn't been a major problem that way so far. I, it seems like there's more focus there. I saw a meaningful improvement from his mentality from year one to year two. This is last, you know, going into last year in terms of how much he was getting baited when Frank Clark uh, him and knocked him to the ground. He did not like go after him and start up. Like in year one, he was starting fights all the time. He didn't go after Clark because he was knocked out on the ground. Wow. It's hard to go after somebody when you're out cold. I'm just saying he 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 did not start anything. Uh, uh, you know, he was not going after people last year. It was to me, it was a notable difference compared to where he was in. in year one where literally almost every other practice he was getting sent off because he was getting into a, a scuffle with somebody. So I've seen some maturity growth. It seems like a period maturity growth. I did see last year some, some reach blocks that he was making in the run game that were pretty impressive. Um, and he was sealing the edge on those. All these are like, you know, they're all, they're at, they're not enough. They're just, there's not, they're not nearly enough to make up for the, the serious, flaws in his game that are you know really risking the Seahawks uh in all sorts of like pretty serious ways yeah and the worst part about this is it was so projectable like anyone who watches college tape or it was it was you can see this coming from a mile away and I the thing that worries me about him is just the things that he struggles with are not are not the things you can teach yeah his technique could get better but like the snowball effect where he, when he makes one mistake, it just keeps rolling down. And the stuff Cliff Aver was saying, I, I just don't know if you can teach that with a new coach because the rest of the line seems to be 
progressing. And you're only as strong. I hate it's a cliche as hell, but you're only as strong. If you have one major weak link on your line, it can break everything down. And you saw it with Mel Ingram last week. He was just abusing him. I guess we should shift back to the Chargers game a little bit. There was a lot of interesting developments from that. The score, I, again, I don't put too much stock in the score. I more care about the guys who are going to play. How do they look? And I don't know about you guys, but to me, I was intrigued by Russell Wilson. I thought the deep play action passing game looked fantastic. I thought he was some interesting wide receiver stuff. David Moore looked really good. Jerron Brown looked really good. Um, for a group that looked like a complete disaster entering camp, one to six or one to five, they look pretty interesting now. And they're doing this without Baldwin, without Lockett it in play. So for me, that was my big takeaway. I thought Russell looked great. I know they didn't score any touchdowns down there. They fumbled at the goal line, and there were some formation, weird formations down there. But I thought the deep play action passing, that was to me, that was the standout from the game. How about you guys? Nathan, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, Shadi has, like, there's the good and bad. And the good yeah. is all the play action stuff. Um, it's great. Uh, the bad is uh, running. Say why. Say why. I saw <laughs> you. Stuff? Yeah, I saw you say, like, I think I'm falling in love with Shadi's play action stuff or something. Say why. Well, play action is just good. Um, it works really well. Quarterbacks pass much better out of play action. Um, and with the way that, with the personnel packages that Shadi wants to run, um, you know, these not not always heavier sets, but, you know, I, I guess anymore, you know, a 21 personnel where you've got, you know, your standard eye formation or whatever, that is a heavy set in, in kind of today's NFL. So he's setting the defense up. Um, and then, you know, I, I think he's playing to, uh, he's using his tendencies against the defense and he's playing to Russell's strengths and he's playing to some of the strengths of these wide receivers and stuff. Um, and he's, you know, finding ways to get these tight ends who aren't exactly great, but he's kind of scheming them um, with the play action to, to stress the linebackers and, and find, you know, big open spaces for them. So all the play action stuff is really fantastic. Um, and they've been doing it a lot and it's worked really well. Um, now the bad is how he wants to handle short yardage situations, right? Um, those goal line plays were, were terrible and not because Chris Carson fumbled, right? It, uh, you have to help your running back and your offensive line out. You can't put zero wide receivers on the field. Um, you, you just have too many bodies and, you know, he got stuffed uh, every time and the fumble was a little bit of bad luck, but it, it wasn't good process that got them there. And so when they go into those short yardage situations, they have to um, spread it out a little bit. You got to put a wide receiver on the field, you know, you love eye formation. Fine. You know, stay in your eye formation and stuff, but um, that those jumbo sets on short yardage stuff is going to be a problem all year long if that's what they want to do did you hear um the schottenheimer uh press conference by any chance or his comments about the goal line no i've actually been like uh in like radio silence on everything that's not worked for like two days so yeah, i kind of hate it <laughs> so i did manage on my walk to work i listened to i think it was this morning i listened to his press conference and he had a couple <laughs> interesting, interesting comments about the goal line so one he was like uh you only get like 16 goal line plays a year, or I think what, what he said. Like you just don't get that many chances to practice, and you definitely don't get them as much in preseason or something to that effect. So they were they were trying something there. 
He's but shouldn't said, you practice what you're going to do? Well, yeah. So they were trying <laughs> something, and he said, I don't think I ever heard Daryl Bevel say this, by the way. he The first thing he said was, there was a scheme error, like a scheme problem with the first play we ran. We asked Dwayne Brown to do a block that was just not realistic, and um, that play never had a chance to really succeed. And so we saw it. You know, we learned from it. We're not going to do that again. That was on us. I don't think I ever heard Daryl Bevel say that about any play. I don't know. Do you guys recall? Like, yeah, we, we messed up on the coach's side on that one. We called. Did you? Can you guys remember something like that? No, and they put their players. I mean, they. I mean, Cable more than Bevel, but uh, they put their players in a lot. Their offensive linemen in a lot of really impossible situations over the years. So um, that's really cool to hear because they consistently ask their guys to do things that were um, not setting them to succeed, and and never talked about it and continued to do it. So that's cool. Yeah, and he said on the second one. Um... I can't remember exactly what he said, but, but yeah, there definitely, I agree with everything you said, Nathan. And, you know, from a player perspective, one, Chris Carson can't fumble it like that, that he fumbled on two consecutive plays. This is a problem that he had at one point at Oklahoma state and then um, made some corrections and didn't fumble the rest of his time there. Um, You know, he's going to be asked to take, take the ball in tight spaces um, for short yardage in certain situations. And he's, he's got to secure that. So that, that was alarming. Hopefully it's, I wouldn't say alarming. Uh, I think it was an opportunity that came up that he clearly has to pay attention. Hopefully he'll make the things, the changes he needs to make. So that doesn't happen again. Trey Madden also from a fullback perspective got destroyed in those plays. Like he was, he was not effective at all. I don't think Trey Madden had a very good game in general. Um, He had a penalty on special teams. He, you know, I thought he had a decent first week. I did not think he had a very good week um, last week. So that, that also stood stood out to me. Um, Shadi said a couple other things in that press conference, but while you were talking about the the goal line, I wanted to bring that up. So, were you, were you at all alarmed by Shadi making saying like they had a scheme error on probably the like the most simple play you can design a first and goal from the one? Um, no, because I mean, uh, I didn't take it that way. That was like, oh yeah, we. We don't know what we're doing, and to some extent, I would be—I find it refreshing, even if that was the case, because I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome and all sorts of jobs in the world where people don't want to admit that they're learning and they're trying things, right? But um, look, they—the fact that he acknowledges that something that they tried didn't work—that's what's important to me, because as Nathan talks about from a process perspective, then I trust that they're going to identify and not be blind to the mistakes that they make, correct them, and get better from them. If they come back and try to do the same thing, I'd be much more concerned about that. Yeah, that's reasonable. Okay. But, I mean, the, the problem where there wasn't some specific thing about the play they called in, the, in Dwayne Brown's assignment, I mean, there may have been that. Um, but the problem was, you know, beyond that, too. Like, even if even if you like jumbo packages, are we really going to be taking Doug off the field in those situations? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that's why I agree with your point there. And Yeah. So it's good that he called out, went out and acknowledged that. And like, I mean, it's good that they're practicing stuff, I guess, but practice what you're actually going to do. And yeah, you don't have Doug right now and you don't have Tyler right now, but like, I don't know. I, 
that doesn't I feel better in some respects. I'm glad that he's open and honest, and I'm glad that they're looking at situations where it, the situations they put the players in. But like, there's a philosophical issue there that he has done. So he did. They, they did that. Uh, if I remember right, they didn't have a wide receiver on any of those goal line plays. And then last, the previous game when they had the fourth and one, they went uh, jumbo there as well, and no wide receiver. Maybe one on that one. I don't remember. But uh, again, just way too heavy sets, and we've seen that consistently. So that's something to watch out for, and hopefully they. Um, adapt what else what else like stood out to you about the chargers game other than those things with shoddy stuff um rasheem green is still great um jaron brown looked good uh david moore had uh that everything so the first the big bomb was look okay uh, awesome job by him like i don't want to take away from him he fought like hell but like to actually get that ball like he th- that chargers defender made a mistake and and david moore was there and he capitalized on it and that was awesome but like a little fluky uh that next play though the one after that that took them right down to the one that was a thing of beauty from the route um where he took an outside release and then cut it back in to, to catch that um to the the athleticism, the physicality, um, the strengths. Once he had the ball and he like carries that guy down to the, like that was, it's, it's one play, it's preseason, yada, 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 yada. But like, that was an incredibly impressive play. Um, so all that stuff was, was really cool. I, I think just generally the wide receivers showed up a lot better. Um, everyone not named uh, Brandon Marshall. Um, <laughs> and that was cool to see. Uh, I'm, I'm not like excited about this group yet, but it's cool that the depth um, they're starters right now, but you know, once the top guys get healthy, that they have this kind of interesting depth. Um, it's really nice to see. Yeah. I thought Brian made a good point. In one of his articles recently where last year, the, uh, the fourth and fifth receivers, or if someone got hurt, were Tanner McAvoy and Darbo, who pr- probably shouldn't be making this team. It seems like they have really upgraded the bottom of the group. So one to six or one to five, they do look a lot better depth-wise. Maybe not – I don't know if you can replace the numbers P. Rich had in his contract here, but that, that I do. Like, yeah? I do. I absolutely do. I, I, I think I, – I think – Paul Richardson uh, had a good year. I think he's a fine player. I wish him well. Um, I think he's way overvalued by a lot of Seahawks fans. Um, and that, <laughs> especially uh, the, bearded, the bearded gentleman in, in the lower corner there. And um, I, I think there's a lot of guys that are going to be able to make down, downfield plays in this group um, and uh, more than make up for the six touchdowns that, that uh, P. Rich had last year. So, um, I, I've been pretty consistent. I, I like this group. Um, even Brandon Marshall, who has not looked like he can sustain, uh, you know, meaningful speed on the field yet, and there's there's definitely reason to be questioning that. He drew he he drew a you know a twenty or thirty yard uh, pass interference um, on one play. He had Russell throwing to his left and drawing that to his six foot five receiver, and then you had him throwing to Jerron Brown, who Guys, I mean, he's looking like he could be a real contributor this year. I think Jerome Brown by himself may um, come pretty close to Paul Richardson's numbers uh, this year. And so went to six foot five on the left, then he went to six foot three Jerome Brown on the right. Um, uh, that was interesting. I th- and then you, you didn't have Doug or Tyler playing in that game. Uh, so I think that was that was pretty impressive to see. You had Russell Wilson that 
midway through the second quarter, he was averaging his yards per attempt was 21.4. Like this wasn't like after the first series. This is like at, into the third series. He's averaging over 20 yards a throw. Like I, I feel like there, people left that game with this. Oh, yeah. Seahawks are crappy. They're going to not do that well. The offense didn't convert in the red zone. Like, I feel like I watched a very different game. They got down the field in three plays on the first drive and should have had a touchdown, except Disley had you know, a bad choice block. The play was good. The, it executed really well. Um, and, and it was legitimate the way they got down there. Next series, they went 77 yards. The next series, they went 72 yards. You know, David Moore was like a half an inch from scoring on his catch. You had Carson fumble like, Yes, there were some mistakes, but I'm much more interested in sustainable, repeatable offense. And sure, David Moore made a super lucky catch that's not sustainable and, and reasonable or, or, or um, repeatable. But I thought Russell looked good. I thought there were some, um, some decent ways that they were able to move that ball around. And I was encouraged by what I saw from the first team offense. Um, the defense was a little bit more concerning to me um, and continues to be you know, a question mark. Um, I'm super interested to see what a combination of Rasheem Green and Frank Clark look like as a starting um, duo at the end position. I think that's their strongest pairing. I think Quentin Jefferson played really well, but Quentin Jefferson to me is a better run defender than he is a pass uh, rusher. Rasheem Green is, I think, a better pass rusher than Quentin Jefferson. And is a pretty darn good run defender as well. So um, I'd love to see, I'd love to see that happen this week for them to really give him an opportunity to to, to stand out. Last thing I'll say about the Chargers game, and I'm probably lying because I'll think of something else, but I, I I'm back to being like not on the Tedrick Thompson bandwagon. Like uh, I'm not seeing that guy make plays. I'm not seeing him anticipate. I'm not seeing him be impactful. Um, I I think we're in trouble in our safety spot. I I really do. Um, and I don't see an answer coming along anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think one of my big takeaways from the game was you really saw how much they miss Earl Thomas, and just the the speed you mentioned with Tedrick. His speed just doesn't show up. He doesn't flash. They didn't, hit, they didn't hit too many deep balls. It was mostly the way Rivers moves down the field is in dinking and dunking. But, man, run support, you really miss Earl. You really miss him as a tackler. It just – it's so noticeable that he's not out there. And, yeah, Tedrick's play, maybe it's coming in practice, but he's he's not flashing. Hard to really evaluate him, though, without the all-22. Yeah, true. Yeah, th- that that is fair. Um, I think there's been a number of plays where he's he's been in a trailing position in a one v one, you know, on a tight end or a back. He's not getting there in time. I've not. I've yet to see him make a positive play. Right, uh, anticipating a ball, knocking it down. Um, you know, uh, bringing a, a, a receiver down as soon as they get the ball. Um, I mean, it's been a little while since that Charger game, and there's been a lot that's gone through my head. But my recollection is seeing players catch the ball and running away from him and, um, you know, getting uh, meaningful yards after the catch. And so 
Earl Thomas is a guy that shuts things down. Um, people aren't running by him. That that is not something that we ha- haven't had an issue with. So we have to kind of leave that behind. Like we're never going to be happy if we compare everyone to Earl, right? I mean, the <laughs> the question isn't is he Earl. The question is is he a competent starting safety? I haven't seen enough either way to say. Like, and I think it's hard to really with his role, it's hard to pass too much judgment either way with, like I said, without seeing the all 22. I mean, in the first preseason game, he had a nice play where a, a back got loose and he came down and made a nice tackle. It wasn't anything splashy. It wasn't a huge hit, but he can't, he, he came flying down full speed, caught the running back full speed, tripped him up. Um, I think he it was still, you know, one where the, the back got the first down with it. Might've been Chris Michael, right? If I remember that, but anyways, it was a nice play. It wasn't, it wasn't Earl Thomas, right? Maybe Earl stops it earlier. Maybe Earl comes in and has a big hit, right? Tedrick's probably not going to come flying in and, and knock balls out on the goal line and stuff like that. But, um, but everyone's going to fall short of or short of Earl. That's fine, and, and but he's not he's not even making Jordan Babineau plays at this point yet. Like uh, but, but I, it's, again, like totally different role, right? Like if. <laughs> If Jordan Babineau was asked to do what Tedrick's doing, we might see teams pushing it down the field a lot more, right? Um, and I, and and you can't just say because they're not going downfield that that that, it, that Tedrick's doing a good job, right? It, it's it's really a black box at this point. I, I think it's there's stuff that we can see, but to pass a a real judgment on him at this point, it just is difficult. Yeah, I'm on, I, I I'm I'm losing confidence. Um, that, that's where I am with it right now. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing flashes of plays that, that give me more confidence in him. I'm seeing things that give me less confidence. So time will tell. Um, I would love for, uh, I guess you're not saying that I'm wrong, but, um, I hope that I am wrong and that, you know, we'll see, you know, something great come from him. But honestly, I I do think that you see plays from players that, uh, players that make plays I'll, 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 I'll give you a footballism like um, even in preseason if, if you're gonna flash it's gonna it's gonna show and there's enough passes going on in that game and I just didn't see it from him so I mean I think the thing with Tedrick is if you think about it in terms of well if he gets four or five or six picks this year that'd be great right I, I think everyone's gonna be pretty happy about it uh, playing that positions a lot more than just getting interceptions but that's probably pretty indicative of a, of a, of a solid year from him and, and if you think of that you know if he gets five picks a season that's one every three games right he's played two so far in the preseason what does if you kind of, what is concerning is i haven't seen him come close to a pick yet i haven't seen him being involved in a play really like that yet and so that's concerning but again yeah, I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not uh, a Tedrick truther. <laughs> I'm enjoying this, by the way. But like, I wanted I to push do. you to where you're you're gonna actually like really go after. I'm gonna defend Tedrick and appeal to the authority. <laughs> like, if Pete is happy with him, and Pete's been happy with safeties in the past that did not work out, but <laughs> it sounds like everything right now is okay. And like, I feel like that's kind of one of Pete's pets. Pete's pet positions um, and that they're not freaking out about it is probably a good thing. I don't think they have an option. What else are they going to do? Like, is he going to say, oh my God, this guy is falling. Teddy Thompson sucks. So let's, uh, we're going to put in Lorenzo Jerome. Jerron Johnson just got signed by the Cowboys. They didn't rush out and grab him. Dang. What's Dion Bailey up to? He's still out there probably, right? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. I mean, they're not doing even like, 
they're not doing anything crazy. Like, you know, on the offensive line, like they're getting Fant at right tackle and they're putting Sweezy at left guard, right? Like those are things where they're clearly showing, I don't know if concern is too strong of a word, but uh, the willingness to tinker. And we're not seeing, we're not seeing McDougal at free safety and Hill or somebody else at strong safety. We're not seeing Trey Flowers. And I know Trey Flowers, they want to turn him into a corner and that'll make sense. But like, they're not doing anything where they're going to tinker with Trey Flowers at safety. I mean, they've been steady here. They do, they don't have a lot of options, but they do have some options and they're not giving those a run, right? Like, I guess is uh, Mo Alexander, he's back, right? Yeah, and in fact, Bradley McDougald is out for tomorrow's game. So the starting safety combination is going to be Tedrick and Maurice Alexander. Um, so we'll get a, a long look at, at Mo Alexander. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. You would think that McDougald and Alexander is a potential duo that they could go with, and injuries have kind of kept that from happening. I know that at one point they were doing that a little bit, so maybe that is a bad sign, but I don't know. We'll see. What do you guys make of Dante Johnson? Totally glad you brought Uh, that up. That's what I was thinking. Dante Johnson is going to get a lot of snaps this week. I believe Maxwell's out. Trey Flowers. It seems like Trey Flowers and him might be in competition for the right corner spot. And Trey's been okay. He hasn't made any plays on the ball, but he's been been fine. As for a fifth-round rookie, transitioning. But Dante Johnson, the second half of that game, was one of the bright spots. And, yeah, with Maxwell out this week, I think he's going to get a lot of runs. So is he a guy you guys think can play, or is he more of a depth guy? This is your guy, right, Brian? <laughs> um, I, yeah. I've been excited to see what he could do. Um, you know, he <laughs> if you look at pro football focus, I mean, he was, like, one of the worst-rated cornerbacks in football last year on San Francisco. So, and 49ers fans, like, not big on Dante Johnson. Um, they were happy to see him go. Um, I've always liked his athletic profile. His, his, you know, he's got decent size. He's six foot, six foot one even. Um, he's pretty strong. You know, his limited reps in this first game. So we'll, we'll kind of see. Uh, I definitely want to see him again and again and get some more reps. And I think that'll that'll happen um, in in this game. Uh, what I saw made me feel more confident in his ability to play that position than Trey Flowers. You know, if you're going to be talking about a starting outside corner, I, I'm as I've said before, I'm positive about what Trey Flowers has done. I think it's a good sign. I think this is a developmental year for Trey Flowers. He's on the field. I think that we're in trouble. I, I don't think that he's ready to handle regular season uh, starting responsibilities. Um, so Dante Johnson's a guy that's been around the league um, and. Yeah, I, I am excited to see more of him tomorrow. Um, I'm not assuming that he that means he's going to end up being the starter. I, I think we'll see what happens with this Maxwell groin. It is concerning that he's missed now all three preseason games. Um, and, and, and with Dominic Rodgers-Camardi now signed and you know other guys, Skandrick signed and whatever, it doesn't feel like they're going to bring in another veteran corner to, to challenge Maxwell. So... It's either probably Dante Johnson or Maxwell um, for that position. Yeah, I just wish we were talking about these two guys the same way we're talking about like Stringfellow and David Moore. Or you know, I'm excited to see these guys and that they're interesting. <laughs> and Trey Flowers of the fifth. Like, uh, I'll do the disclaimer on Trey Flowers. He's 
fifth round pick. It's cool that he's out there starting doing as well as he is, but you know, it's not like, I don't think he's meeting NFL starter like that bar. Um, so I'm excited to see what they do because they really need someone to do something. Um, but it's, it's a little scary right now. There's, I don't know. This this the secondary is bad. Uh, it's bad. Yeah. It's it 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 has the like bad potential for sure. Does it have Does it have good potential? It does. I think. What does that look to, like? What does that look like? I think Tedrick is a like a starter caliber caliber guy. I think he's what you hope he is, and that. You know, he kind of ball hawks and stuff and whatever. Uh, he's not going to be a star, but I think if he is uh, solid to good, that's that's good. McDougald, um, maybe he can kind of take a step and be, you know, not a star again, but like one, like a, a good, a, a really good player. Um, you need uh, Coleman to keep up his level of play. I think that, you know, he, he really is performing at a really high level for a nickel. Um, Quill take the next step. And then, yeah, like it's, Trey Flowers and Dante Johnson, can you get one of those guys to pop for you or can Maxwell come back and be serviceable? And, and then it's a lot of ifs. It's a lot of ifs. But each individual if doesn't feel like that big of a stretch. Getting them all to happen at the same time, pretty pretty low probability. But I, I, I'm going to go out there and say that there's, I think there's a real chance for this secondary to end up with five interceptions or less collectively collectively is that a pass rush issue or just pure? i i think it's across the it's, it's it's both but i'm i'm just even talking from ability to make plays um you know shaquille griffin had one interception last year um we've talked about that as a place where he needs to he needs to make progress um you know maybe byron maxwell if he's you know he's definitely been a guy that's been able to create some turnovers at least like force fumbles things like that but if he's not there you know um Questionable. Justin Coleman is the guy that made a couple plays last year um, from a turnover perspective. Bradley McDougal is not a ball hawk. He's not a guy creating a bunch of turnovers. I'd like to say that Tedrick Thompson is. Let me see it. <laughs> I'm yet to see it. Like uh, for me to go in. Like I'm an optimistic guy in general, but we're talking about a guy that has zero career interceptions, right? Like, and so now we're going to predict that he has. Like, that's my concern. Is that like? The upside for this secondary, if they all play above their career averages, then maybe there's like, you know, seven to ten picks. Like, well, it's not just about like these guys don't have a back of the 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 baseball card or whatever, right? Like, you know, Quill has one year, Thompson has. No years. Hill has no years. McDougald has a few. Coleman has a couple now. But like you know, there's 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 youth here, and you can be you can always be optimistic about youth. What about a King King? We haven't even talked about him. Everybody's <laughs> favorite. I think he's no, but, okay. Well, we can get to King King in a second. But to look at this from a different perspective, though, the offense could help them in that regard. Right, game turnovers. I think have a lot to do with game script. If the offense can force games to be high scoring, um, force team force other the the opposing teams to pass and keep up with them, then you have a better shot 
regardless of overall performance, I think you're going to see more opportunities, at least for the secondary to get picks. If this offense isn't very good and they're behind, then even getting five turnovers out of this secondary could be tough. So I think a lot rides there too. Their best chance of turnovers might be Michael Dixon's wonky wobbly punts. <laughs> yes. to not be able to catch those. If like Nico Thorpe is uh, recovering muff punts, does that count as a, a turnover in the secondary? <laughs> no. Oh. No, it does not. You two. Yeah, best chance. Jeff, can we like? I I really feel the absence of of um, Evan right now. Like we've managed to get Nathan to be the positive one on the podcast. Like, how did that happen? Like, I feel like we should take a bow. Well, let's just bring up Michael Dixon. I think that'll switch fast. <laughs> I bet he's even positive about Mike. How can you not be positive about the number one punter in the NFL? He does look pretty good. Yeah. Right. Wow, I'm mad. It's still a punter, and punters are dumb. But he does look like <laughs> relative to other punters. Yeah, I think I think he, his punts were pretty damn sexy in that game. Um, and uh, based on the conversation we've been having, we are going to need every net yard um, that he can create uh, going into this year for sure. All right, let's let's change. We've been on for an hour. Let's. Seahawks have a game tomorrow. They play the third game is probably the most interesting of all the preseason games from the standpoint. You'll see the most from the starters. I think they said Russell's going to go into the third quarter and Shoddy was talking about coming out of halftime and how important that is. So the Seahawks tomorrow are up against Minnesota, probably top to bottom, the best roster in the NFL. They were a good roster last year. They added Kirk Cousins to replace Case Keenum. They had our old friend Sheldon Richardson who replaced Tom Johnson and Shamar Stefan or Steven. They seem pretty happy about that. They got pro bowlers all over on defense. What are you looking to see in this game tomorrow? Brian, we'll start with you. What, what's the thing against a team that probably is a Super Bowl contender? What, what's, what's the key things for this game? Oh, they're definitely, like, I think they're number second uh, in the odds to, to win the Super Bowl. Like, they're, they're way out there. They're my Super Bowl pick. I, I think they're really, really well um, constructed team um, across the board. Uh, yeah, look, if the offense, if the starting offense can score 10 or more points against this defense, that will equal success to me, um, on the offensive side. I I mean, I, I think this is a really, really good defense and, um, that's not saying anything, um, shocking, but, uh, I'd like to see. Number one thing I'm looking for is George Fan at right tackle, you know, almost full stop. Like, if he can look like, I hope that he is going to get. They're going to swap series by series or something like that, and not wait until like the second quarter to put Fant in. I'd like to see Fant with the ones. Um, I'd like to see if he looks any more capable than a Fetty, and I think he will. Um, I would love to see if Chris Carson is able to be productive. Um, you know, one thing we didn't talk about as much, we talked about his fumbles, but man, on that opening drive, that touchdown run that got called back, that was a nice run. And the run before that, when he went to the right side, nice run. Like I, I continue to believe this guy can be a real star, and I'm interested to see how he plays against this group. And um, interesting to know that DJ Fluker is going to play in this game. You know, they were talking about his dislocated finger; they weren't sure, but he's going to play. So. Yeah, it's mainly about the offense and, and how that, that group plays together. And then 
you know, I don't think any of us would be shocked that Rasheem Green, like, you know, let's, if he's not starting, I'm going to be really frustrated. Like, like now is the time to see if he can climb into that role. You know, it's like Russell Wilson in game three of the preseason in 2012. That was when he got his chance to play with the starters and they made the switch and don't put in Quentin Jefferson or Brandon Jackson. Like, don't do that. Like, Give Rasheem Green the chance to prove that he can be a difference maker with the ones. There's so much more to gain from them taking that route than, than sitting on the bench for two quarters or a quarter and a half um, uh, while Brandon Jackson's getting snaps. Yeah, Green Green looks like a first-round talent. And coming out of the draft, people thought he was raw. And But this, this isn't a Nick Reed situation where he's just some 250-pounders beating up on third stringers. You're seeing transferable traits with the, whether it's the hand usage or the, just the athletic ability, his arms. He looks like a first round kind of talent. So, yeah, you want to see him against the ones. And if the Vikings do have one weakness, it is their O line. They're kind of moving guys around right now. They have a lot of injuries and a lot of questions there. But, yeah, I think if you're right, you, what, what are you hoping to see out of Brandon Jackson at this point? You know what you have. You know what you have in Quentin Jefferson from to an extent. I don't know. Like, to an extent. I mean, I, I want to, well, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, but, and I want to see green against the, the ones too, because I want to see good players play against good players. Um, but I think green's far from proven or anything like that, but he's looked fantastic. Like, um, but if with Richardson or I'm oh, sorry, not Richardson, Jefferson and um, Brandon Jackson, I think there's a question about what exactly are they against starters? Like green, maybe he doesn't translate this year against starters and he struggles a little bit when it comes to regular season or whatever. That's fine. He's a rookie. He looks amazing. He's got all, like you said, all these traits that absolutely should translate. So there's not a lot of questions there. It's just with him, it's just time. But with Quinton Jefferson, if you're going to talk about like, well, who are you going to roster? What what are you going to do if, if Deion Jordan, can come back a couple weeks into the season. Don't you kind of want to know what it is that Quentin Jefferson can do against starters? If you see Quentin Jefferson go out and beat up third stringers, like that doesn't help you make that decision. And, and same for Brandon Jackson. And these are guys that have been around, so they they don't have and played regular season NFL games. So there's not a ton of questions about them. But I don't. I won't. I, I get why they might be more interested right now in seeing. Um, some of those kind of almost bubble guys against that top level of competition. Do you do you think though, Nathan, that the fact that Quentin Jefferson and, and Brandon Jackson got starters reps last week and were rotating against starters, and I think the first week, you know, they've gotten some of that view. We haven't seen like Rasheem Green got one of his sacks. I think Green in the, got a little run with the first teams. I think in the first game, Rasheem Green got one of his sacks against I think the whoever was starting, you know, on the line for for Indianapolis. But Jefferson and and Jackson were getting the you know almost all the snaps um, first in in the first quarter of this game against the Chargers. Well, and so there's something else interesting that I don't know if again I've been I've kind of, I went dark the last few days with work stuff, but um, Quentin Jefferson's getting a lot of run at five tech like he's getting oh, that exclusively now uh exclusively i think he played some defensive tackle didn't he 
there was one play for sure where I saw him at defensive tackle um, in in a in a pass rush situation like the second half or something like that. Yeah. But in week one, he definitely got run all over the place. Um, yeah. I didn't track him too closely in week two, but he got yeah that they're looking at bringing that back. So that's another thing where yeah, I mean, I get it. I want to see Rasheen Green like he's super exciting, but um, I get why they might keep going with what they've kind of been doing and. I, I think you find, you know, if you can find ways with like, you know, if there's a, like NASCAR package situations and then you get green on the field against the ones and then cool. But I think they're experimenting a little bit and kind of seeing what they have there. And I, and I get that. How, how good do you guys think Puna Ford could be? He had, um, he had a play. Actually, I don't even know if he was the one that made the play, but there was one where he got into the backfield and the the running back was like, dancing and 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 juking and jiving and i don't think puna Puna actually made this play but puna was like mirroring him like he looked as agile and like uh twitchy as the running back did um which is not something that you expect from a guy that size but you know his testing like he i want to say he was a force player which is an athletic profile for pass rushers that um Justice Mosqueda, um, who's a great follow on Twitter, um, he, he does that uh, analysis. I want to say that Puna was a force player, or, or at the very least, he tested extremely well. So he's exciting. Like he, he's he's a he's a one tech. He's a big body. Like so, there's you know only so much upside there probably. But he's not like uh, you know Colin Cole or or a guy like that. He he's really interesting. Uh, I remember Tom Herman, who was his coach at Texas, who was on one of the local radio stations. And he's he's been around college football forever. He's been around some of those, some of those good Ohio State teams. And he said P- Puna Ford's going to be a 10-year player in the NFL. He said there's only like two other defensive tackles he's seen that are that active. And while he doesn't have a body that looks like an NFL player, he said he's the kind of guy who's going to come in, sort of what I think Brett Bielma said about Russell Wilson. He predicted like week after the draft that this guy's going to come in and just dominate. And he's been it's again he's been playing against lesser players, and but he looks like a guy who I, I want to see him make the team. Um, one question I had for you guys that someone asked on Twitter was whether you think that there's a chance that they'll look. We're talking about the safety spot. Any chance they'll look at someone like Eric Reed? They should. They won't. I mean, this isn't about football. It, it's not about football with any football uh, with any team at this point right it's about um his him kneeling during the anthem and so yeah they should no they won't i, I think that colin kaepernick situation kind of told us what they what they thought i think if they were going to do that they should have done it in Ju- july and now you you miss a whole training camp and preseason i think it's just i don't think there's value in that bring him in now unless there's an injury I know we're, we're running late, but but one other thing that came up in the shot and thing we haven't talked about, CJ Proceise. Um, oh, yeah. he, he, uh, he made it through a game, uh, ended up being the leading receiver in that game, and um, had a couple runs. And uh, uh, it was interesting. Ryan Cleveland, I think, joined for the, the live show last week. Uh, he's one of the Hawk Blogger patrons. And his impression of Proceise was that he – uh, wasn't as flashy or didn't feel like he, he showed as much um, burst as, as he had in the past. I actually was 
pretty pleased with what I saw from ProSize. And what Schottenheimer said is, if anyone has any doubt about ProSize making the roster, Schottenheimer went on and on about how unique his skill set was, how he wanted to feature him, how all he heard about when he arrived was to put on tape of ProSize and what he's done, and um, how he's a unique matchup nightmare, and all the stuff we've heard about ProSize forever. But Schottenheimer went on and on about it. So um, he made the point the issue with him is consistency. I think we'd all say it's durability. Um, you know, but, uh, I thought that was, that was positive and I am really interested to see, he's going to get a lot of reps tomorrow because we also didn't mention JD McKissick, uh, you know, broke his hand and, and or, is that right? And is that oh, his foot? Foot. But yeah, four yeah. to six weeks. So, you know, process to get more reps. That got hurt. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you guys, we haven't talked about McKissick yet. He's, he's gone four to six weeks. What do you do with him? Do you, do you bring him on the roster or do you IR him or do you just cut him, assume no one's going to pick him up and bring him back when he's healthy? He kind of makes the, the composition of that position a little more interesting. I think all the other injuries, um, well, I guess it's just uh, uh, Penny. Your favorite. Penny. What's that? Your favorite first round rookie. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? CJ Process is injured too. He he might not be injured now, but he he will be. He's oh, come on, man. He just That's come so hard. on. He's always <laughs> all right. So random yeah, thought. Man. I wonder if having a new coaching staff helps Process, um, in that they're not maybe burnt out on him being hurt all the time and still like more intrigued. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it, it's just it's a little harder now to carry. McKissick, if he's hurt, and then Penny is hurt, and then Procyse is a walking injury waiting to happen. Like, it feels like you kind of need a little bit of reliability back there. Um, I don't know who the guy. Like, Mike Davis is uh, is good enough that I think that you, that you probably go with that. And and then, so if they're the roster crunch, it's just hard to see them without other more reliable backs in the mix to keep someone that's already hurt. So I would I would actually say that I think they're gonna they would keep McKissick and cut Mike Davis, um, but the what I would have to do really be sure about the, or have more confidence in that is look at the other places in the roster where there's injury because I think there might be special team shortages. If they end up keeping Deion Jordan even if he's a couple weeks out, that's a roster spot. If they keep Jamarco Jones on the fifty three man so that they can put him on the injured reserve to return, that's another spot. Like. <laughs> starting to add up, Ed Dixon. Uh, you know, Ed Dixon maybe like starting to add up a bunch of people that aren't ready. Like maybe Doug actually can't play in Week One. Or, you know, like they have to feel the special teams. So um, that's the factor to me that could push McKissick off the roster. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've been pretty consistent. I, I like Mike Davis. I'd be happy to have him on the roster if that's how it has to be. But. Um, I don't think there's a real risk of him getting scooped up and you know, you really regretting it if he goes and plays for another team. So um, McKissick, I do think has enough value that, and he's young enough. Um, I think there's a risk of putting him on the street and, and maybe he doesn't come back and you regret that down the road. And the other guy I want to watch in this game, uh, Nathan mentioned him earlier, Brandon Marshall. You keep hearing all this buzz about him from camp, and they keep saying how oh, this is his best week. But man, he doesn't look like he can run anymore. And can he sustain any speed? And I just want to see this translate because 
we don't know if he's going to make the team based on how they've treated veterans and some of these young guys jumping him, but I want to see that if he can run at all. He didn't look like he could run last year. Yeah. So I, I don't have a lot of question about that. I think the question is, can they find a way to use a guy that can't run? Um, I think that's still maybe an open question. We haven't seen him. I mean, why have a guy? <laughs> keep going, keep going. Uh, why have a guy that specializes in the red zone, and then when you get down to the one-yard line, you take your wide receivers off the field? Like, <laughs> if that's what he's supposed to be, is this end zone Isn't threat? A or two? I don't know. He's a wide yeah. receiver. Like, <laughs> uh, he may be a good blocker, but he's a wide receiver. His uh, number one job is to catch footballs, and if his number one job is to catch footballs in the end zone, then like you got to give him chances when you're on the one yard line. I don't know. All right, fair. Nathan, who are your guys you want to see? Uh, Alex Magoo, oh. the number one graded rookie uh, this preseason so far. Um, no, George Fant's the big one. I mean, I do want to see Alex Magoo. That's not a joke. Uh, George Fant is the big one. Um, not Marshall specifically, but Marshall and, you know, these wide receivers uh, just kind of getting more of a look at them. Um, I know we talked about a lot of these guys, like the secondary, you know, can can any of these corners look like they're ready to step up and be a starting NFL quarterback? Do Does Tedrick start sniffing around on some balls and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a long shift. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going on the highlight reel I was like halfway through that sentence so I knew. <laughs> um, anyways I'm 12 years old sorry go on yep, yep. Um, and you know the whole thing all preseason for me has been you know shoddy and what he's doing I think we have a pretty good idea of it now but just continuing to see that um, that what, what he does and how he wants to call games I think is going to be interesting to me all year long yeah, those are, those are good calls, especially Magoo, who Nathan was ahead of the curve on. We were all just writing him off after that first game, and Nathan was on board, and maybe Nathan should be the new uh, quarterback scout for the Seahawks. Uh, clearly, they're doing a fine job at quarterback scout because they went and drafted Alex Magoo, so yeah, I don't yeah. think they need me. He had a really good game. like He, he really did, and I, I would keep him over Austin Davis based on that game alone. That's how little I think of Austin Davis generally. I don't think... Magoo showed a ton, but he had two great throws, like really great throws. And you could argue maybe he had three great throws in that game. The ones that stood out to me was the touchdown pass that he had. I mean, you couldn't have put it in a better spot, better timing. Um, you know, uh, Malik Turner made the catch there. And then the other was that, that throw to Cyril Grayson for the two-point conversion. I mean, he rifled that ball in there. Um, you know, he showed a really nice arm. and and. Uh, I was impressed. The other pass down the the, the boundary to Cyril Grayson earlier in that, that drive was also the one that, that was pretty nice. But the other two in the end zone, those were big-time throws. It was nice to see. Yeah, I didn't realize he had such a live arm. I know they talked about how good he was at throwing from the move, and but that really stood out. And he's athletic, too. I mean, he's not Russ, but he can move. And, you know, they've 
I don't think they've ran any read option with Russ. I could be wrong on that, but they've ran it a few times with him um, to varying success, but uh, he can do it. Um, yeah, I think he's exciting. He's a seventh round guy or whatever. Um, he's not going to win you football games today, but he's in, he's very interesting. He, he's a lot more interesting than a lot of guys um, on this team in past years and a lot of guys on other teams right now. Well, if if he makes it, I think there's a real shot that the entire draft class makes this roster. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And I don't think, we had this conversation a little bit on Twitter, I don't think that's because the Seahawks are super shitty. I think Jamarco Jones, you know, if he was healthy, I think he would have made pretty much every roster we've had. I think, you know, Rashad Penny would have. I think that Rasheem Green would have. I think that, I mean, go on down the line, I think Michael Dixon would have, uh, you know, uh, I think Trey Flowers would have, other than maybe like the 2013, 2012, when they had so many corners. Um, Jacob Martin, maybe. Like they, they are seeing him as a linebacker. They have not had a lot of depth at that position. I think he probably makes it in most years. Anyway, I, I think there's re- – I'm not saying this is like a top-end blowout like 2012 class. I think there's question about how good, you know, how great these players are. Are there any all-pros? Green seems to be the guy that has the highest upside. But it's looking like they've replenished the talent pool a little bit. Um, you know, and we'll see. It has to all play out. But I think there's some promising signs for sure. I guess the one other story we really haven't hit on, and I don't want to spend much time on it, is Sebastian Janikowski won the kicking battle. <laughs> uh, Jason Myers was released this week. And I don't know how much I want to add, but did you see that picture Russell Wilson tweeted out? Where they had all five of the captains walk into the field from last game, and Janikowski looked bigger than Dwayne Brown. I don't think I've <laughs> ever seen that before. Well, was significantly bigger than the left tackle, an all-pro left tackle. I, I just I haven't been able to stop looking at that picture. He is a large man for sure. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of a, an angle issue with that picture, perhaps because I don't think yeah. Janikowski is actually bigger Definitely. than Dwayne Brown. But um, I thought it was. I want to give the game ball to the team seamstress uh, who clearly made some adjustments to Janikowski's uh, jersey. It was much trimmer and more becoming. I think, I think he's rounding into shape. I, actually, I heard, I heard Pete Carroll say that Janikowski's in great shape. <laughs> I, you lose all credibility on determining fitness level when you make that comment. But uh Otherwise, uh, I'm looking forward to watching Janikowski this year. I actually think that could be a fun, uh, uh, fun side story. All right, guys, uh, we <laughs> we've been going at it for a while. It is great. I'm glad you guys were able to get together tonight. I'm looking forward to the game. I'm flying back from San Francisco tomorrow afternoon. Fingers crossed that uh, you know I do not want to. I don't not want to miss the Ox preseason games, even you know a half. So. Um, uh, looking forward to seeing you guys online um, and then we'll talk again next week we're getting closer and closer to the regular season um, next week we're going to start talking about players that have been out potentially starting to work their way back to getting ready for uh, regular season snaps so um, a lot of stuff happening over the next few weeks uh, for patrons that, that have joined thank you for people that haven't uh, joined uh, the patron group please Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up. Um, get access to the private Facebook group. Uh, we, we do hangouts. Uh, a lot of times you'll be able to come on here and ask us questions. 
bunch of fun um, extra bonus stuff, and all the the money goes to a great cause in, in Ben's fund. So um, please take a look. And uh, with that, uh, go Hawks, and have a great night, everybody. <laughs>